0: Thank you so much team. Good morning church. Now if you are a good LCFer, you would have read the email this morning that says that Becky was preaching. As you can probably tell I'm not Becky. Uh, A few times we have been mistaken for siblings rather than spouses which has been slightly awkward Uh, but unfortunately about half nine this morning Becky was getting ready to come to church but she's just not well so I made her get back into bed. We've got uh, unwell children as well so please do be praying for her. And pray for yourselves, because you've now got to listen to me preach, last minute. Um, but I, uh, as I had the hour to prepare, I was just thinking, um, what on earth do I speak on? As you know, I've said before, if you're a regular here, I sort of, if I'm not finished my message by Thursday, I'm panicking, I'm worried. So this is a little bit in the deep end for me, and for you as well, as you've got to listen to it. But I'm going to be carrying on a campaign Truth Talk. Of course Roy spoke last week so eloquently and so amazingly if you didn't listen to that message last week. So many messages, my phone was blown up, I thought the church had blown down but it was about how amazing the service was. Uh, So I want to continue this Truth Talk theme and I think Becky will be preaching it next week as well because she was so impacted by Roy's message. She had woven what she was going to speak on around that. But I'm going to go back three years and I'm going to doctor and change and one of the first messages I actually preached here but it's so poignant and I think and pertinent to this Truth Talk campaign and what I want to talk about this morning if you've got a notebook handy or you do take notes on your phone is anxiety, anxiety. We've been talking about Truth Talk and about the power of speaking truth into our spirits, into our heart and into our mind so I just want to look at this whole subject of anxiety. If you are not aware we've lived through the past three years, from a massive pandemic. We're still feeling the effects of it economically. We still have COVID around everywhere. But anxiety has been an epidemic, particularly in our country and the West, for generations. And it's got progressively worse. And when we go to the Bible, we look at the Bible of this ancient document. But as I say time and time again, the word is alive and it is active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow, even between soul and spirit. It speaks to us. It's the only book you would have heard it said that reads you back. And do you know the Bible has a lot to say about anxiety? So if you have your Bible, you can turn it on. Or if you're old school and a proper Christian, you can flip over to Philippians 4. I think, have we lost the feed on the screen here? We're going to go to Philippians 4. I'm going to use my proper Bible. I think we've lost the feed on the screen. I do have a Sky Bible that we often use. Here we go. We're back. We've lost it again. Not got it, Cal? Okay, let's go old school. No technology. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 9. And if you're like me, having to load it up in the moment, please don't be afraid to use the contents page. You pay for that as well when you buy a Bible. Okay? (laughs) Okay. Philippians 4, verse 6. Uh, Let's start in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord, listen to this, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He's emphasising this to the Apostle Paul. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. I love that. First thing he's told us to do is rejoice in all situations, in good times, in hard times. Why? Because the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. And some translations, the NIV will say it like this, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. I think Paul here is using the Microsoft Word thing. You know, when you right click it, you can click synonyms. If there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on them. And I think of it like this. I heard a preacher say, what does it mean to dwell? Well, if you are a heathen, aka a tea drinker and not a coffee drinker, if you like a proper cup of tea, what do you do? You put the tea bag in, you pour the hot water on it, and you let it dwell. It strains all the flavor out of the tea bag. Dwell. Dwell on these things. And I love this. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning. We pray, Lord, as we dive into your word, and we talk about this huge, huge subject of anxiety. We pray, Lord, that you will just be near. We pray your word over our lives, over our souls, over our spirit, over our family, God, that if we are worrying about anything, that we would be able to learn from the apostle Paul and dwell on the things that are lovely, admirable, honest, and pure, Father. And we pray as we dive into this subject together, Lord Jesus, that you would just be in and amongst all of it. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. So we may get technology or we may not, okay? So we'll see how we go. So, anxiety, what on earth is it? What is anxiety? We hear it, we see it on the headlines. We know it's an epidemic. We know that more than ever people are suffering with anxiety. But what is it? Straight away, we hear it as a negative thing, we hear it as a bad word. Well, if you're anxious, there's an issue. If you're anxious, you may need medication. If you're anxious, you're not normal. Well, actually, anxiety is normal. Anxiety, when it is in balance, is a friend to us. It's anxiety that when there's a dark alleyway and someone with their hood up looking a little bit suspicious tells you to maybe take the longer route. Anxiety isn't there to be an enemy to us. It's to help us, warn us and keep us safe. However, the issue in 2023 and indeed for the last couple of decades is anxiety has increasingly got out of balance The thing that is meant to protect us has started to try and overprotect us to the point where it gets a little bit frustrating, a little bit difficult, and we just don't know how to deal with it. And I say anxiety is more and more unbalanced because according to Mental Health 2022, a survey done, one in eight people, more than one in sorry, 10 people suffer with anxiety. 8 million people, and that's just in the UK. And that's people who have been to the doctors and been signed off with an anxiety disorder. And I want to suggest there's many, many more that haven't been to the doctor that suffer with anxiety. If we look at the global workforce, people being off sick, signed off sick, 40% of those signed off sick worldwide are signed off with depression or anxiety. They haven't broken a limb, they're not throwing up, they're signed off because they are anxious. In one study done in 2015 by Psychology Today, it was reported that the normal child, the normal, which is really important, that word, the normal average child today displays the same symptoms of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in 1950. I'll say that again. The average child today displays the same levels of anxiety as the average psychotic patient in 1950. The word there that I'm stressing is average. It is normal now to be absolutely wriggled and riddled with anxiety. Someone said it like this, fear and anxiety are siblings but not twins. Fear sees a threat, anxiety imagines one. And I think it's even more difficult when we get into faith and we get into church because, of course, anxiety, depression, mental health issues are taboo in the world. But when you come into church, surely you shouldn't have mental health issues. You shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't have anxiety. And of course, we go to scripture. We read Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 25. He says, don't worry about anything. Don't fear anything. And we've heard the the axiom 365 times in the Bible. It says, do not fear. So now we're not just feeling guilty for being anxious. We're feeling guilty because we're not doing what Jesus has commanded I think we have our slides back. No, we don't. So this slide says this, and I want you to write this down. If you suffer with any sort of worry or anxiety, we can divine anxiety like this. Anxiety is misplaced faith. Misplaced faith. Why do I say that? You see, to have anxiety or to suffer with worry isn't a lack of faith. It's just faith in a different form. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things not yet seen, the things that we hope for. Anxiety is the substance of things most feared. So it's having amazing faith, just faith in the wrong things. It is misplaced faith. And as I said, when we're in church and we're riddled with worry and we're smiling at everyone and we're putting a front on on Sunday morning when we've had a horrific morning or week or month or year and we're just so worried and we're trying to get it together, do not be guilty if you have misplaced faith. Do not be guilty because anxiety is not a sin. It is not sinful to be anxious. It is an emotion. Anxiety is not a sin, it's an emotion. Will it lead to sin if it has its way? Absolutely. When we try and fix anxiety by self-prescribing things, and that could be anything from prescription drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be escapist behaviours like binging 12 series of a Netflix programme to try and numb feeling or numb thought or numb worry, that's when it gets sinful. But anxiety in and of itself is not sinful. Max Lucado says it like this in his book, Anxious for Nothing. He says, here's a little checklist to ask yourself if you think like you're dealing with worry. He says, are you laughing less than you used to laugh? Do you see problems in every promise? Would those closest to you describe you as increasingly negative or critical? Do you assume that something bad is going to happen to you or a loved one? Do you dilute or downplay good news, listen to this, with doses of your own reality? Remember a few weeks ago we looked at self-talk? When we construe something in our mind that didn't actually happen, but we started to believe it ourselves. Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? Many days, and that's the key because we all have days like this, but many days would you rather stay in bed than get up? And given the chance, would you avoid an interaction with others for as long as you possibly can? And of course, one or two of those isn't a problem. It's maybe just a seasonal thing. It's maybe something that we're just going through and and we get out of it. But actually, if you look back at your year, your months, and you can tick five or six of those ten things off, maybe you are struggling with some form of anxiety. So of course, the question is, if anxiety has been around for a long time, why is it so bad now? That 40% stat, that more than one in 10, 8 million people in the UK suffering with clinical anxiety. We know from Paul that anxiety has always been a problem. If we're told not to be anxious, he presumes that we will be. Why is it so bad now? Well, we have these cultural analysis. These are clever people. These are the clever people I read to make me sound look clever. And they look at society and they look at the brain and they look at cultural interaction and they look at relationships. And there's all these studies about key moments, key defining times in humanity. So we think of like 1440s, the Gutenberg Press, where books no longer had to be hand-manuscribed that could be done in mass production. Information started to flood the world rapidly. We look at the invention of the clock, where people started to clock in and clock out. It wasn't just about the sun. We look at Benjamin Franklin, who was credited for inventing electricity. We look at the light bulb, we look at the computer, we look at air travel, we look at the car, all these defining things that have just changed, albeit a little, the trajectory of humanity that has seen us now in a society that is unrecognisable from even a century ago. Well, scientists, when they look at anxiety, they look at one year, 2007, and they coin this year the beginning or the unofficial start of what we call the digital age. See, a few key things happened in 2007. Number one, the holiest one, was the invention of the iPhone. Steve Jobs, do you remember the clip where he got up and he talked about having a music device, an internet device, and a phone? And I say it all the time, if you've got Androids, we'll pray for you at the end. But iPhones were invented in 2007, the App Store, all these amazing things, Apple started to go global. Twitter went global, Facebook went global. If you remember, you used to have analogue TVs, maybe some of you old school people still have the, the aerial in the loft. But in 2007, it was the digital switchover. Do you remember that? Everything began to go digital. In Silicon Valley, the, the Intel switches they use in computers started to be manufactured at a, a mass rate. And of course, this was fantastic for, you, for humanity. And as I've said before, we can do everything now from our phones, the things that we used to have to have 50 things for. It's all now stored in one handy device. Technology has made our lives infinitely easier. But it is also, these scientists tell us, made it infinitively more difficult, especially culturally and relationally. You see, anxiety, if you look at the stats we have in just the short time, really from 2007, has rocketed since that time. And you will know this in your own lives. Maybe you have got 1,500 friends on Facebook, but you've got not one real friend in real life. You're always on your phone, but you're not really saying anything. You make plans with family members and friends, and you get to it and you just want to cancel, and you can do it now. You can just send a text, I'm sick. Don't, I don't want to come. You used to have to say, I remember, and I'm, I'm young enough and old enough to remember this at 34. I used to ring my mate's house phone, the 012 number in Birmingham, say, I'll meet you at four o'clock at the corner of the street. And if he wasn't there, I thought he would have been hit by a truck, but now we just, we just cancel plans. Why? Because we're anxious. We're worried. Emails flying left, right and centre. Our our information overload in our brain has literally changed, scientists tell us, our neurobiology. It's changed the physical structure of our brains. Technology 2007 is a time that was fantastic for lots of reasons, but also awful for a number. And I love what Paul says in verse 9 here. He says this, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, And the God of peace will be with you. So, of course, Paul isn't living in the digital age. He hasn't got an iPhone. He would have if he was here, but he didn't, okay? He didn't have to suffer with all these things, but he had his own bout of anxiety as well. And when he's telling people not to be anxious, he's not doing this from like a sort of nice Christianese place. He's not sitting on a beach in Barbados with a mocktail with a little umbrella in it, sunning himself, getting a tan. He's actually writing this from a prison cell. He's telling people not to be anxious from a prison cell in Rome. And I want to suggest when we talk about anxiety, the Apostle Paul is an expert practitioner in what it means to deal with anxiety. And yes, we have modern medicine, which I would say if you have been prescribed a drug from your doctor... Do not neglect taking it. Does God heal? Yes, but sometimes it's through a little tablet that will help you for a season. I just want to put that out there. Medicine is not evil. We are not opposed to medicine in the kingdom of God. Sometimes that's a miracle in itself. But God also works in loads of different ways. And Paul telling us not to be anxious is this expert practitioner who is saying, "Just watch how I do it, watch how I live, watch how I speak, watch how I act, and you will learn the truth of how God works in your life." So, with that umbrella verse of Philippians four six two, sorry four to nine, we're going to go to Acts sixteen. Acts sixteen. I'll give you a moment to flip over there, and we're going to start at verse twenty two. And let me just set the scene. Paul and Silas, his right hand man at the time, were out preaching and they were preaching and results were happening. People were getting healed, people were coming to faith, people were being set free. And they get into an altercation which is a very interesting one, you can go home and read it for yourself at the beginning of uh, chapter 16. But they essentially upset the mobsters of the city and end up in prison. And these mobsters obviously had sway in the town and started to turn everybody against them. And we pick up the story in verse 22. It says this. "'The crowd joined in the attack against them,' that's Paul and Silas, "'and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. "'After they had severely flogged them,' this wasn't just a little tap on the hand, "'after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully.'" receiving such an order, listen to this, he didn't just put them in the cell at the end, he put them in the inner prison, and just to be safe, he secured their feet in stocks. So they were chained in the middle of this prison. And then about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Really interesting, and a complete side note and another sermon, oftentimes when you're going through your hardest times, other people are watching and listening. You don't know it but other people are watching and listening. And contrary to popular belief, when you come to Jesus, it's not all sunshine and roses. You can be banged in the centre of God and still go through really difficult times. And we see this time again. We look at the apostles, the disciples. All of them, bar one, were martyred. That means they were murdered for their faith. And the one who wasn't martyred, it was only because they tried to boil him to death. They got bored because it wasn't working and they let him go. You can be banged in the centre of God and still go through difficult times. Jesus never promised you would never face a problem again. He promised that he would always be with you. Always. Different sermon for a different time. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners weren't listening to them. I love this word, suddenly. Suddenly. And this was midnight. They weren't thrown in at 5 to 12 and said a little prayer. The likelihood is they'd be there for hours, singing and praying for hours. Their mouth was dry, their feet were locked. It was smelly, it was stinking. It wasn't a 21st century prison. There was no Xbox, there was no TV, there was no central heating. It would have been dark, damp. It would have smelled of feces and BO. People would have been swearing and shouting. It would have been sensory overload. But yet they were praying and praising for hours and then suddenly... There was such a violent earthquake and the foundations of the jail were shaken. I love this. And immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. Sometimes your worship can free other people. People who didn't deserve it. People who might not want it. People who feel they're stuck and they can't get out. They're listening to your prayer and your praise in your deepest, dankest times. And suddenly and immediately God can work. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and he was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. A little bit dramatic, but culturally, this would have happened anyway if the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourselves, because we are all here. Let's pause there. As I said, this wasn't a nice prison. He didn't have a mattress and, you know, like a goose feather pillow. He was secured, he was stuck, but he was praising. And when we look at Paul telling us not to be anxious, if we look at Paul's qualification list of anxiety, he would have had pills thrown at him left, right and centre. Let me read you some of his qualifications for anxiety. And if you want to check this, fact check this, you can do in 2 Corinthians 23 to 33. He says, I've been in prison multiple times. Five times I've been lashed, 39 times. I'm no good at maths, but if anyone is, 39 times five. That's how much he's been flogged with a whip. And again, I've been flogged frequently. I've been exposed to death, and he adds just as an afterthought, again and again. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's not the type of stones you get walking around Luton with that funky smell. Okay, He wasn't stoned by a plant, he was stoned by rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked, spending a night and a day in the open ocean. I'm constantly on the move. It means I haven't got a mortgage or a house. I don't have a contract of rent. I've got nowhere to lay in my head. I've been in danger from rivers and from bandits. I'm often without sleep. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. And daily the pressure of my concern for all these churches I've planted. And I want to tell you, one church is headache enough Love the church, but goodness me, sometimes it's difficult work and Paul has got them everywhere. We're talking about anxiety. This guy knows what it means to be anxious. And yet we see him praising, praying, singing hymns and ultimately setting others three. Maybe he's not anxious. Maybe he's just clinically a bit insane. How could he do this? Well, indeed, there was a trick, I believe, and it's not like steps one, two, three to get out of anxiety, but Paul employed something, and I believe, through much hard work in his life to be able to catch his thoughts. And we preached on this a few weeks ago. We're looking at self-talk. We looked at cognitive behavioural therapy, if I can say that. Do you remember that? The employment we use today to, to battle these difficult thoughts. We sit with a nurse, and we, it's a talking therapy. We begin to speak these anxious thoughts, and we catch them. And I said then that Paul was employing this years and years ago. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. Every thought. The bad ones, the difficult ones, the ones that are disguised to trap you. And we make it obedient to Christ. And if we go down this scientific route here, and when we're looking at cognitive behavioural therapy... When we're looking at the train of our thoughts, again, that we talked about a few weeks ago, our thoughts are exceptionally powerful. They can literally give us physical symptoms when we are getting anxious thoughts. This is why when you have a panic attack, you instantly think it's a heart attack because the symptoms are exactly the same, simply by how you think. Isn't that crazy? And we're told we have 30 seconds talking about catching your thoughts before our thoughts turn into feelings. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You see, subconsciously, as we said two, three weeks ago, we've got a constant train of thought running in our minds. And we're hearing and we're listening and we're understanding and we are believing every single one of them, even subconsciously. And I'll say it like this. Have you ever been in a room and you've just blown up at someone? I think I said this a few weeks ago. And, and you're, not, you're not quite sure what happened there. You've just lost the plot. And the person you're speaking to is sort of shocked Because what they said didn't equate to your reaction. You see, subconsciously, something was happening in our minds even before we were aware of it that had caused that explosion. Because we are feeling our thoughts before we're conscious of them. 30 seconds, we're told, from our thoughts going in our mind to feeling. And again, when we are anxious, these can be all sorts of feelings physically. We can get tacky hands, we can get sweaty. We get tachycardia, which means when our heart rate builds up. We desperately need to go to the loo. This often happens when I'm preaching. I don't feel nervous a lot of the time physically, but subconsciously, I'm I'm nervous and I'm, I'm having to empty everything in my body to, to the light of my body so I can run away. So if ever you see me running down Castle Street at 25 past ten, <laughs> grab me back. And this is all anxiety. Physical things happening because of our thoughts. An anxiety birthed, is birthed, neuroscience tell us, in a thing called the amygdala. Have you ever heard of that, the amygdala? Sounds like a cool, like quirky baby name, doesn't it? Well, we have two of them, one in each hemisphere of our brains, the left and the right. And if you were to shoot a line through my eye and through my ear, at the intersection in both eyes is where you'll find these little almond-shaped amygdala. And that almond-shaped, literally amygdala, is the Latin term for almond. These two tiny little things And we process a lot of our feeling here in the medial temporal lobe of our brain. And amygdala live here. And our amygdala, as I said right at the beginning, helps us and it keeps us from danger. But as soon as it gets unbalanced, we have a problem. So if a double-decker bus was to run now through these doors and crash into the doors, without even thinking about it, you would feel your thoughts and you would jump out of the way, as best as you possibly could. You'd move, you'd flee, you'd be sweating, instantly your heart rate would be going. That's fear. And it kicks in. Anxiety does exactly the same, and pay attention to this, even when that is imagined. Okay? So a bus doesn't come in and crash through the doors, but if you imagine it and you believe those thoughts, the physical sensations in your body will kick in exactly the same as that happening. Isn't that crazy? You know, when God tells us we're a wonderful creation, we really are. Our body can do amazing things for the good and also for the bad. Said it before. Genesis 1:26 to 27, we see God creating humanity. We're told that God creates us in His image, and that doesn't necessarily mean He stood there looking like me. Um, he's probably a lot better looking than me, and probably a bit taller. Okay, but when He creates us in His image, He's talking about His personality, His characteristics. And throughout Genesis, we see God creating, talking, and breathing, and functions happening, planets birthed, and trees and animals. And we have, albeit on a much smaller scale, that same inherent quality to create. We see everything around us, the piano, the drums, the stage, the church, all of these things that we see around us physically started as an inception in our mind. Then we engaged our hands, and like God, we don't have the ability to speak and create, but we can think and we begin to create. And as I said, the same thing happens with our thoughts and in our own bodies. And we're told that when we begin to think in our mind, our brain literally changes its structure and it makes these pathways called neural pathways. And although Paul lived thousands of years ago, he may not have had the language for this, but he understood this. The fourth father of neuroscience is a man called Santiago Ramon y Cajal, and he lived in the late 1800s and 1900s. He was the first neuroscientist, as I said, the forefather of neuroscience, to win a Nobel Prize in 1906. And he was regarded as the foremost authority on the structure of the nervous system and indeed the brain. And in 1930, he put this paper out talking about the brain and the neural pathways. And he said, when we think we make these pathways in our mind, and the more we think, the deeper that path goes. If during lockdown you went out into some countryside and you were walking across fields, you would have seen those paths in fields that have been created because people have walked on them constantly. There's no concrete there, there's no asphalt, but the same people have walked the same path and they've made this path for a field that wasn't there before. The same thing happens with our thoughts, he said. And he said, once you've made them, you will always travel down them. So when we react to situations in a certain way, time and time again, that becomes like the motorway in our minds. That's the path we always take, even without thinking about it consciously. We're running down that path. We're walking down that path. We're making it deeper. And he released in this paper the, the, the thing about the brain, these neural pathways, and he said, he used these terms, which are quite pompous, but they are fixed and they are immutable. These pathways in our mind are fixed and they are immutable. In Brummie language, which, where I'm from, it means you can't teach an old dog new tricks, is what he's saying, essentially. He says, once you learn a pathway in your mind and you travel down this path, there's no way you can get out of it. And it was accepted as science. The boss said it, we believe it. And then in 1948, a Polish neuroscientist came along called Jerzy Kornorski. And he looked at this paper from Santiago Ramon y Cajal and he said, I just don't believe this. He says, I believe you can teach an old dog new tricks. And of course, he was laughed at. He was told, don't be ridiculous. Once those pathways are in our mind, That's always how we're going to live. And of course, as believers, that's very difficult for us to hear. Because we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that once you come to Jesus, you are a new creation. You're a new creation. The old has gone. The old has passed away. The new has come. But the scientists telling us, well, no, that's rubbish. That doesn't happen. And Jerzy Kornowski held on to this and he, he termed this phrase neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity It's a mouthful. And he suggested that once these paths are created in our brain, that we can change the paths. We can take an A-road, if you want, off the motorway and literally restructure the physical makeup of our brain. And as I said, he was laughed at. We hot forward 12 years, 1960s. Obviously, science has come a long way, studies on the brain, people looking at scans and, and have these two papers, neuroplasticity and fixed and immutable. And the science showed that actually the pathways can be changed. That although Santiago Ramon y Cajal was an amazing neuroscientist, a forefather taught us a lot, Jersey Konorsky's theory of neuroplasticity was right. Now this sounds ridiculous. Why are we talking about science in church? Well, it's biblical. Romans 12, 1-2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, Paul lining up exactly with what we've discovered today. And this should give us hope. If we're stuck in a pit this morning for 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, we're going down these pathways of anxiety, we're crippled with worry, I want to tell you there's hope. There is hope and hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Let's get back in our theological DeLorean. We go back 2,000 years. Paul is in this prison. He is beaten. He is battered, severely flogged, feet stuck in stocks. And what happens? He learns to catch his thoughts. Desperately, thoughts are trying to go down the M1 of worry, but he's taking the A road of peace and hope, and he is praising, and he sees peace, and suddenly. I want to tell you, if you've been stuck for years, decades, months, days, suddenly can happen. Suddenly can happen. Immediately can happen. God works in suddenlies, and he works in immediately. And God can work, and will work that way, and sometimes he'll work a lot more slowly, and it, he'll, he'll work much more like a double-decker bus rather than a Ferrari. He'll work slowly. And when we look at this Romans 12, 2 about being transformed by the renewal of our mind, I think sometimes we think of that as an instantaneous thing. It happens instantly. But maybe, maybe it happens really slowly and incrementally as well. And we can get really discouraged when we see the immediatlies in somebody else's life and we're sort of travelling the A road on the, the big red double-decker bus and they're in a Lamborghini, go four miles, 400 miles an hour. But actually, sometimes we just need to tell ourselves, even if we don't believe it, that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And Paul, I'm sure, was worried and he was hurting and he was beating, but he prayed anyway. I'll say it like this. Sometimes we've got to trash talk our anxious thoughts. We've got to trash talk our anxious thoughts. And I don't for a minute believe that Paul, through that prayer and praise, was feeling it all of the time, but he was doing it anyway. I want to take you to, again, the 60s, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. He was known for being so destructive in the ring, a boxer, if you didn't know. Now, I've never really been brought up on boxing, but Becky's family, uh, she's from Gypsy Heritage, if you didn't know. I'm sure we mentioned that before, but I just love boxing. And Muhammad Ali was absolutely destructive in the ring, but it was also really destructive outside of the ring. You see, he was known for his trash talk. Listen to this. At a weigh-in, was fighting someone. He looked at this box and he said, I've wrestled with alligators. I've tussled with a whale. I've done handcuff lightning and I've thrown thunder in jail. You know I'm bad. Just last week I murdered a rock. I injured a stone. I hospitaled a brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. <laughs> trash talk. And what he was doing, he was getting into the brain of his opponent before he threw a left hook or a right hook or a jab, before he dodged and dived, he was getting into the brain, into the thought processes of, of his opponents and making them doubt. And sometimes church, you've got to fake it till you make it. It's got to fake it till you make it. You've got to speak truth even when you don't feel it. And that, and that can sound really irreverent and really unholy in church. What do you mean fake it till I make it? Well, isn't that really the definition of faith, the substance of things hoped for? I want the substance of things hoped for. I'm here now, but I hope for this. Sometimes you've got to fake it until you make it. i say it like this. It's not inauthentic, it's faith-centric. And we need to understand when we do this, when we speak truth, even when we don't feel truth, when we speak positivity and all the negativity and anxious thoughts, it does something to our brain. Listen to this from Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is, I don't even know what her title means, but I'll read it anyway. She's a cognitive neuroscientist with a PhD in communication pathology, specialising in metacognitive and cognitive neuropsychology. I think she'd have to have like a fold-out business card for that title. But she says this, Thoughts are real physical things that occupy mental real estate, moment by moment. Every day you are changing physically the structure of your brain simply through your thinking when we hope it's an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal direction it is with our mind that we reject or we believe the lies of the enemy it is with our mind that we change the physical reality of the brain to reflect our choices it is with our minds that we decide to follow God's rules and live in peace despite what is going on around us again isn't that cognitant of what Paul and Silas are doing it is with our minds that we choose to follow the lies of Satan and spiral into mental, physical and spiritually, spiritual disarray. Be conscious with how you think. What this tells us is, although the presence of anxiety may be unavoidable, the prison of anxiety is totally optional. Say that again. Although the presence of anxiety may be unavoidable, the prison of anxiety is totally optional. We need to get good at our trash talk. And going back to Becky's message, don't cuss, don't curse. Holy trash talk. Muhammad Ali, holy trash talk. And you might think, well, that sounds fantastic and that sounds good. But what on earth does that look like? Say it like this, three ways, three main ways that are like the ABC of the Christian journey. But some of us can be walking the Christian life for decades and and we neglect some of the simple practicalities because we think they're simple. Number one, prayer we're going to be taking a whole four or five weeks uh, in the coming weeks to look at prayer after Becky's message next week. Prayer. I'm not just talking about, please God, make me feel better today. I'm talking about the type of prayer that changes things. Again, we go back to Philippians 4, 4 4-9. Paul says, think about the lovely things, the admirable things, the excellent things. What he's doing, it's it's a replacement tactic. He's telling us how to pray. Pray the good things, Do not worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, bring it to God in prayer and petition. Number one, trash talk in prayer. Number two, get in the Word. Get in the Word. Biggest annoyance for me in the Western church, not talking about LCF, the Western church, is we neglect the Word in our personal lives. Yes, we come to church, we open the Bible, we hear a sermon. But how often do we go home and get into the Word ourselves? There's people around the world who would die for this book. People in the world who who are dying for this book right now, who don't have a copy, who are desperate to see it, and we have it sat on bookshelves and in our app bins on our phone. See, the first thing that happens when you get sick, which has been evidenced in my house this week for a number of my family members, is we lose our appetite. We get sick, we lose our appetite, we start to get emaciated, we lose calories, we feel weak, we get dizzy because we can't eat. Exactly the same in the spiritual. This is the book of life. Jesus said he is the bread of life. We read about him in this book. Get into the word. You will learn how to trash talk. And number three, really important, Christian community. That's me, that's you, that's us together. Yes, you can sit at home every week and watch a sermon from Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or John MacArthur or your preacher of choice. Hopefully it's me and Becky, but you never know. Your preacher of choice, sit at home, and click on for the worship, have a little prayer time, listen to the words, get a few moments of inspiration and shut the laptop down. See, that isn't church. That's a podcast. Church is this together. As I said, Paul and Silas were there together, strapped up, singing and praying. And I believe this would have been hours, maybe six, maybe seven, maybe 10, maybe 12. And there would have been times I am sure that one of them flagged. Paul's voice would have got croaky, would have been in pain and his prayer would have faltered. And what happens? Silas says, come on, Paul, we can do it. We can do it together. And an hour later, Silas does the same thing. I'm done. I'm like heading, my throat's croaky, I need water. And Paul says, Silas, let's get it together. Let's do it. We see a very different Paul in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 15. He says, he's talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, everyone's left me. He's depressed and he's down. This is the apostle Paul church planter miracle man doing amazing things he's down and depressed why because everyone has left me christian community is so so important getting together coming to church not just coming to church but being the church for one another so trash talk through your prayer trash talk through your reading of the word and trash talk by knowing that this is a journey we live together and finally, as a band come back, a few practical things. If, if you are prone to worry and to be anxious and to get into to holes where you just feel like you can't escape, maybe you're not ready to share that with a prayer team member or someone at church, but there's a few things in your life that you can be mindful of, that you can put, I believe, in place to help you manage some of those pathways that you find yourself walking down. Number one, employ routine and rhythm in your life. Routine and rhythm. When you don't want to get up at 8 o'clock, do it anyway. When you don't want to have breakfast before work, do it anyway. When you don't want to have your devotional time with God, do it anyway. Every day, routine and rhythm. This helps massively with prayer and the Word. And again, if you struggle with the Bible, you can get an app, YouVersion app. It reminds you every day, sends a push notification to your phone. It might just be a verse, just get in the Word. Number two. Best thing I did last year was turn off push notifications for BBC News. Limit the amount of news you consume each day. Limit it. You've got the radio on all day. Limit it. My dad uh, has a friend who's a postman, and he was signed off work for clinical depression. And going through CBT, uh, catching your thoughts, learning how to manage with that, they found the root problem of depression and anxiety was because he had the news on all day in his ears as he was doing his rounds. News. All the time. Bombs here, war there, sickness there, kidnap there, theft there, constantly. That's what you're filling your mind with. Absolute opposite of Philippians 4 8. Excellent, praiseworthy, trustworthy, admirable. Limit the amount of news you take in. And again, to add to that, make sure it's a reputable source. Don't get your news from Facebook or Twitter. Don't get your news from Instagram because very likely it's not accurate. It's an algorithm reinforcing what you already think and believe. So number one, employ routine and rhythms. Number two, limit the amount of news you have, reputable over rubbish. Number three, consume social media in moderation. This might not be a problem for some of you, but if you're on social media all the time, TikTok, Twitter, Be Real, there's so many blooming social media platforms now I can't keep up, moderation is key. And lastly and importantly, limit escapist behaviours. If you're prone to drift towards things to escape, be very careful what they are and be very careful how much you consume. Is it wrong to have a glass of wine? No, I don't believe so. Is it wrong to watch a Netflix series? No, I don't believe so. Is it wrong to have a paracetamol when you've got a headache? Absolutely not. But if you're going to those things to try and numb something, that's when it's a problem. When one drink turns into 10, when the paracetamol was a constant thing, Where you don't want to get out of bed and you just want to binge a Netflix series so you don't have to deal with the email or the the work situation or what's going on in your family. Limit your escapist behaviours. I wonder if we can just stand together. As I said, anxiety is a massive, massive epidemic. And the science and the cultural analysis and the people who know far more about this than me are saying that this isn't getting better; it's getting worse. And I honestly believe, with all that is in within me, sorry, I honestly believe that Jesus is the answer for this. And of course, I'm going to say that my preacher, my pastor, but I know many of you believe Jesus is the answer for this. And if you're in here and you're struggling and you're prone to worry or anxiety and you're prone to slip off the wagon of peace and get stuck in these things. We would love to pray for you. Our prayer team are around. They're going to be upstairs if you can get upstairs or down here at the end of the service if you can get down here. But as we go into this last song, I would encourage you to use this as a time to step out and begin to trash talk some of these anxious thoughts. And like I said, community is so important in this. And maybe you've struggled before with trying to deal with it and you don't know where to go. We would love to stand with you in prayer. Our team are here, down here and upstairs. And during this song, please feel free to come forward if you would like prayer um, for anything really, but particularly if you're prone to these worrisome and anxious thoughts. Thanks.